right. Um, there is a, uh, a phenomenon, if you will, or a, a thing that happens that we, it, it can be called uh, analysis paralysis or similarly decision paralysis. Essentially, you're, you're evaluating options and decisions of what to do and you just can't make a decision. Um, sometimes it happens when there's too many options and the comical one that I think everybody is familiar with in our culture today it happens with streaming services. And you sit down, I'm going to watch something. And you spend 45 minutes scrolling through all the different services of things you could watch. And then you end up going, there's nothing on. Which that's not actually true. There's tons of things on. It's just there's so many options you cannot decide. Uh, whereas back in the day, you only had a few options. So you were forced to make a decision. I mean, back in my day, okay, way back. And now only those of you that are like longtime Minerva residents will, will get this reference. And so the rest of you will just have to imagine. Back in my day, I can remember walking to Garden Video right over here that was back behind the Chinese restaurant and renting VHSs. Now, for those of you who are under the age of 25, a VHS was what happened before DVD. Wait, wait, a DVD is like a disc. Yeah, you, you get the idea. But it was, like, it was like, oh, there's only a few things so I can decide. Or sometimes it happens when it's not, uh, it's not even too many options. Sometimes there's only two options to pick from, right? I've got option A or option B. But there's so much fear and anxiety about choosing the wrong thing that I'm like, I'm going to go with option C, which is I'm just not going to decide. I'm just not going to do, do anything. Uh, and so there's, there's moments in our life where that's kind of funny. There's moments when it's not, when it's really serious. And that happens as it relates to our futures as well. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks about kind of our future and what God says about that and, and how those things intersect. We're going to wrap that series up today. And we're going to talk about, all right, well, what's, what's next? Because there's where I am now, my present, and then there's where I, I feel like I need to be or God's calling me to or what's next in my life. And, and how do I get from where I am now to that place that he wants me to be or is calling me to be or that thing in my life? Like, what is the next thing that I do? And sometimes there can be this, oh, what do I do? And I'm just stuck because we start to think things, am I on the right track? If I'm not on the right track, how do I get on the right track? Am I taking the next right steps? If I'm not, how do I fix it? Well, what step do I take? I don't even know where I'm going. How am I supposed to know what step to take? And it can be so overwhelming. And so here's what I want to do. I want us all to, to be on one page this morning when we walk away from here knowing there is, there is one step for all of us as it relates to what the future looks like. There, there is one next thing, and yeah, the path will diverge past that, but there is one next step for you and for me this morning. And so we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture, one from the Old Testament, a Psalm of David, one from the New, something the Apostle Paul says in a, in a letter to a church in Galatia. We're going to start Old Testament Psalms. Uh, we're in Psalm 27. If you want to follow along there, I'll have it up on the screen as well. Uh, if you were with us last week, we looked at uh, Psalm 40. And um, I talked about Psalms a little bit, and I just want to re, uh, rehash that, if you will, to kind of get us on the same page. One of the interesting things about the scripture is it's not just one kind of literature. There are a lot of different genres within it, and some, you know, there's, there's letters that are written, and there's instruction that's given, and there's some historical stuff in there, and there's uh, narrative, and there's a, a heck of a lot of poetry in scripture. Uh, the book of Psalms is that. It is a collection of Jewish poetry, and, and oftentimes it was set to, to music to be something that was sung, and, and so it is very emotional. In, in fact, the Psalms are like this intersection between, okay, here are some people who are trying to follow God, and then here's the human experience 
and everything we experience and what life throws at us and the things that we feel. And you see the different psalmists bringing those two ideas together, trying to follow God. I'm relying on his faithfulness. I'm thinking about him. And yet here's my life situation. And those two things come together and they come out in psalms of some are praise and excitement and joy. Some are pain and heartache and weeping and mourning. Some are just confusion. Some are anger. And so we're going to see that this morning. And this particular psalm is written by King David. A lot of the psalms are from David, and, and I love King David as a case study for what does it look like to, to follow God, because he is a, an example of what a mixed bag looks like. That, that David, you know, he comes onto like this, the, the scene very publicly as a very young boy, the famous story, David kills the giant Goliath, and from that moment on, he's got all this public notoriety, and that kind of gets ratcheted up because he's declared as, you're going to be the next king of Israel, which sounds really good, except Israel already had a king, his name was Saul, Saul's not so happy about David being anointed as the next king, and so David spends a season of his life on the run as a fugitive from the current king, like fleeing for his life. And then he becomes king, and there's like there's these multifaceted parts of his personality where on one hand, David is a warrior, like he just, he takes names, okay, he, he just, he's good at defeating armies, and then on the other hand, he's like, let me bust out my harp, play some songs, write some poetry, and you're like, that's, that's an interesting combination. And then as a king, he does some things that are great, he leads his people well, he's, he's called a man after God's own heart. If you know anything about his story, he's also an adulterer who has a guy murdered and just destroys like his personal family and makes some terrible decisions too. And so he's this mixed bag, which to me is, is good news because that's all of us. That's what it means to be human. We try to follow God and sometimes it goes well and sometimes we blow it. And, and so we see David in this psalm bringing that kind of humanity, but also bringing this reliance upon God and, and navigating through the situation that he's in. So Psalm 27, we'll cover the whole thing. It's only for... 14, 14 verses, oh gosh, you would think, you know, every week I do something like that, and you would think for a person that kind of speaks as a major part of his job, I would get through the tongue twisters, never going to happen, never going to happen, the Lord keeps me humble. <laughs> All right, so Psalm 27, starting in verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom should I dread? And so similar to what we saw, if you were here, we looked at Psalm 40 last week. He starts off by just reminding himself of who God is and what God has done. That God is my light. He's my salvation. He's guiding my way. He's rescuing me from my enemies. When, when things are falling apart, I run to him. He's my stronghold. He's the thing that is not shaken. And then in verse 2, he goes on to continue that idea and say, When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. And so he's reflecting on something in the past when God showed up and God was faithful. And so he's like, when evildoers came against me, and uh, the way that the psalm is written, we don't know the situations that David is writing about. Some of the psalms, we can actually map on and know, hey, this psalm relates to this moment in David's life. We don't really know that with this particular psalm, but we do know there were several times in which evildoers came against him to devour him, to destroy him. You know, he could be reflecting back on that time on the run from King Saul, even though he had done nothing wrong. He could be writing this um, at a time where he's reflecting or thinking about there, there's times in his life where there's family turmoil uh, and his own son is revolting against him. He could be thinking of a time when he was at war with like the Philistines or somebody else, but he's just remembering this moment where God showed up in the past and his enemies fell. And then, the pattern that we saw last week, that's what God did in the past, but here's my present. Verse three, though an army deploys against me, 
my heart will not be afraid. And though a war breaks out against me, I will stand confident. And so now he's like, and here's my current reality. There is an army deployed against me. There is war all around me. It is threatening to consume me. And so again, this could be a moment where it's a foreign nation, an enemy of the nation of Israel. It could be an enemy from within because there were times when his power was challenged. It could be just personal something, people against him. But something is going on where there is adversity, there's an enemy, there's an army, there's a battle where the future is uncertain and, and it is shaky and it is confusing. And again, as we think to our future, we think about the next step that we're going to take, that's often where we find ourselves like, I don't know what the future looks like. What do I do next? And David has a lot of options for what he could do next. I mean, he's the most powerful person in the kingdom. He's the king of Israel. He's got people who answer to him. He's got advisors. He's got generals. He's got you know, any uh, array of plans could be made. Strategy could be formed. People could be talked to. David, what are you going to do next in this uncertain present to, to move towards resolution or what, what you think that next step, step is? And this is what David goes with. This is what he chooses in the midst of the chaos. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. I have asked one thing. Everybody say one thing. We don't do that very often, but it makes me, you know, smile. So I'll, I'll try it again. Everybody say one thing. I love it. All right. Um, but listen, like there is this idea because that's the, that's the driving force of this idea. David says, okay, everything's falling apart. There's things going on around me. What do I need to do to take the next step? There is one thing that I desire. There's only one thing I want. There's only one thing that I need in this moment. And here is what it is. The one thing is that I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord, seeking him in his temple. David, in that moment of uncertainty and chaos, says, here's what I got to do. I need to go be with God. I need to seek the Lord. I need to dwell with him. Uh, the idea just being, I need to be in his presence. And he's using the imagery and the language of the temple because uh, to the, the Israelites, that's where God was. If you wanted to go be in God's presence, if you want to have that relationship with him, you went to the temple and you went through the temple system of the sacrifices and God's presence is in the Holy of Holies. So if you wanted to be close to God, you got close to the temple. And David's like, man, I just wish I could spend my entire existence dwelling in the presence of the Lord. I wish I could just be in his temple. I wish I could be in his, uh, his house. There is just one request that I have. When he says one request, it's not a matter of quantity of requests that he's going to make, because he's going to request several different things. It's a matter of quality and priority of request. It's this idea of if I can only have one thing, if it's a list, if I'm ranking this, here's what's at the top of the list. This is the one thing that I want God above anything else. I just want to be with you. That's my priority in this moment. He wants the presence of God. As I was preparing for this message, I came across a, um, a commentary by John, a guy named John Golden Gay and his uh, commentary on the Psalms, and he had this quote that just hit me like a ton of bricks, as they say. One thing, he says, one thing says the Psalm. One thing I do, says Paul in Philippians 3. You lack one thing, says Jesus to a rich man in Mark 10. Only one thing is needed, says Jesus to Martha in Luke 10. I know one thing, says the blind man whom Jesus had healed in John 9. These declarations about one thing all vary, but all recognize that there are moments when you have to focus. 
that there are moments that come along, like as we go through life, as we follow God, where it's like, all right, I have to be just laser focused, locked in. There's something going on right now that requires my full attention. And then he goes on, and this is the part that hit me and hurt a little bit. He says, in Western culture, which is that we're all products of the West, which is a great thing. I love being a product of the West. Western culture has been shaped mostly by Christianity, but it, it does have its pitfalls, and he's going to point out one of them. In Western culture, we have gotten used to multitasking, partly out of apparent necessity, how the world kind of works, and we just, well, I got to go along with it. I got to go with the flow. It's, it's how the world operates, partly out of apparent necessity, but partly out of choice. And here it is. We think we can keep adding one more thing to our schedules without asking what we're going to abandon to create the room. And we aren't very good at standing back and asking what has priority. And I was like, hmm, that's, that's like a one-sentence description of my life most of the time. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can be there. Sure, I got that. Yeah, anytime. And I think I can do more and more and more and more. And what he says is like we keep adding more and more you know, thinking that we can, we can do that without asking what we're going to abandon because the reality is you add more and more and more when there's not just the one thing, something has to give. Eventually something or some things are going to drop off and that's either going to happen or we're going to stand back and ask what has priority and say, okay, here's the thing that isn't going to go away. Everything else falls in line under this. And for David... We see in the psalm, he's like, here's the thing that I will not sacrifice regardless of what life looks like around me. I need to be in God's presence. I need to be with him. That is the one thing in my life. And if we're, you know, being honest, for many of us as followers of Jesus, God's presence in our life is a thing, but it's not the one thing. But a lot of times like, no, it's a thing and it's important to me, but it is not the one thing. It's a thing right alongside all of the other things. You know, my, my, my job and my kids and my hobbies and my family responsibilities and my schedule, my kids' schedule and, and my vacation and my dreams, my aspirations. Those are all things that are important to me right alongside with God. But God doesn't want to be a thing in our life. He wants to be the one thing. And that's hard. And I, 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 when I, please, please don't hear me saying that thing, I have this together because there are moments and weeks go by as a pastor where I'm just like, was God the one thing this week or were all the things that I had to do the one thing? And so this is, this, like I said, this was <laughs> a, little, little, a little jab for me as well of, of like feeling this, getting my toes stepped on, this idea of, okay, God wants to be the one thing and it's not out of some selfish egomaniacal, I must be the most important thing in, in your life. But the reality is, is that when God is the one thing in our life, all of the other things, when they all come after that, they all fall into place and go way better. They go so much better. Now, they don't go perfect. Don't hear me saying, like, hey, if you put God first in your life, everything is perfect, and you're just walking around all day like, life will be a dream. Do, do, do. I don't know that song that well, but you know the song I'm talking about, right? Okay. It's like, no, it's not going to be perfect because we still live in a broken world and a pain-filled world, a sin-filled world. Other people's actions affect us. But as far as the things that are in our control, like, I, 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 I don't know how, how long have I been out of school now. I can still remember like our coaches always preaching to us, control what you can control, control what you can control. Right? Like That is that reality. There are things that are out of control. But as far as the things that I can control, if God is the priority in those things, it goes better. It goes better. 
you know, when we think about what we desire in life and the thing that we want, and you think about maybe, maybe there's people in your life who you look to and say, I, I want what they have. You look around your church family or other followers of Jesus you know, and it's like, you know, I wish I, wish I had the contentment that they have. I, I wish, you know, I, I lived kind of the way they did and the, what their family looks like, their relationships look like, the, the joy that they have. Man, I want that. If you dig in a little bit, you will find people who say, you know, and again, they'll tell you we're not perfect, but they have the one thing set. Where it's like, you know what? Faith is important. God is the most important thing in my life. And so we, we worship with our church and we have people around us to walk with us on that journey and support us and encourage us. We, we're serving, we're giving of our time, talent, and treasure, as Jimmy mentioned earlier. We're, we're living out our faith like in the day-to-day of life, in the nitty-gritty, and we're pursuing God. And it's like, after that, things fall into place. It's never perfect on this side of eternity. But when God is the one thing, life, life goes better. Life goes better. And David kind of hints at that idea and what he says next. Remember, he says, my desire is to be in the house of the Lord. I want to be in his presence. And then he says, for he will conceal me in his shelter. When I'm with him, I'm safe in the day of adversity, even though everything else is falling apart around me. And he will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock, and then my head will be high above my enemies around me, and I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. I just want to be with him. Man, when I'm in God's presence, things go better, if I could paraphrase that. When I have the one thing right, everything else falls into place. He continues and says, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me. Answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. It's another way of him expressing the same sentiment. I want to dwell in your house. I want to be in the temple. I want to seek your face. I want to see you for who you are. I want to be in your presence. I just want you And so he prays, God, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. For even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. There's a a reality, and and sometimes it's hard to believe, but that that God, he's always going to be there. Never going to leave us. Even when it seems like, the, like everybody around you is like, if there's a moment when, when your, your family leaves, your parents abandon you, your siblings abandon you, your friends abandon you, everything is falling apart, David recognizes the Lord cares and he will not abandon me. He will not abandon me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord. Lead me on a level path. My adversaries, life is kicking my butt right now. God, I need you to, I need you to show me your way. And to lead me on a level path. I need you to lead me on, on a path that I'm not going to stumble on. And here's another idea about seeking God's presence and you know, seeking his face. It's not just about some worshipful feeling. Where I'm just like, yeah, I'm just in the presence of God. It's, it's not just about showing up in church and getting our spiritual high once a week. or It's not about driving along and, and you know, hey, I've got my worship music on and I'm just, I'm just Jesus take the wheel on my way to work. Uh, th- there's nothing wrong with those things. Man, listen to worship music, come to church, do those things. But our faith in, in being in God's presence is more than what we feel in a moment. It's more than just I feel so worshipful right now because our feelings, they're fleeting and they're fickle that, that so much of seeking the presence of God and dwelling in his house is this idea of following in his ways. It's the moment where the rubber meets the road in life. That to follow Jesus is, it means that there's, there's a way to live 
It means as followers of Jesus, there's this thing that oftentimes we don't necessarily like called discipline. It's like this is hard and this isn't easy. There's, there's what I really want to do and what I desire, and then there's what I know that he wants me to do. There's what everyone else is doing that's the popular thing, and then there's, there's the narrow way that he calls me to that's going to cost me. I know there's, the, there's what's convenient and what costs. I know that there's, there's a narrow way. God, show me your ways. Give me the strength to follow in those on that level path that leads to life. Show me your way. Lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. So we have David, the king, the guy with resources and people and power at his disposal, and when his enemies are around him, the first thing he said, this, here's, here's what the first thing I got to do is, I need to be in God's presence. I need to seek his face. I need to dwell in his house. I need him to show me his ways. When he was confused and uncertain, David knew that his next step was simple, to get as close to God as possible, just to be there, to be with him. Now, from the time of David to us today, a lot has changed. A whole lot has changed. And most importantly, a lot has changed as it relates to what does it mean and what does it take to be in the presence of God. When, when Jesus steps onto history, when God becomes man, everything changes. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has transformed how it is that we seek his face and how it is that we can be in his presence. That seeking God's face in David's time involved, again, going to the temple and making the sacrifices and following the regulations and the customs and the priest had to do their thing. And there was, there was a lot of details. There was a lot of kind of hoops to jump through. But today, everything changed with Jesus. That if we want to get close to God, we don't have to go to a religious place, a religious system, or a religious leader. That Jesus is now our high priest. He is the one that is the, the mediator between us and God. We go straight to Jesus. We have this direct access. That because of, of Jesus, he, we can be forgiven and made new. That he is now the perfect sacrifice. No more sacrifices of animals are needed. That because of Jesus, we get to experience God's presence and live in his presence. We no, no longer need to go to a temple and go to a place and say, ah, here, now, I'm in the presence of God. The scripture tells us, man, that if our faith is in Jesus, that the spirit of God, God's very personal presence, lives within us as individuals and also collectively when we come together. The presence of God is in our midst. And the Apostle Paul comes along, as that becomes reality, and it's brand new on the, on the world stage in the first century, Jesus has died for sins, risen from the dead, and this movement launches that, that says, hey, you can be right with God, and you can know him and have a relationship with him and follow him, and all these little gatherings of Jesus community start popping up, and they're like, how do we do this? What does this look like? And so Paul and the other apostles, they write letters. And in one of those letters, Paul writes to a church in Galatia, he talks about, okay, what does it look like to live in the presence of God? How do you know what's next for you? What does it look like? What's the reality now that God is present here with us? He says this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. And these two are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so he's pointing to this reality that there's the thing within us that we naturally want to do, the thing that comes easy, the thing that feels good, the thing that there's like no resistance to. He's like, that's that flesh within us. 
That's kind of how we are in our natural state. But then there's God's spirit at work in us, transforming us. And, and the natural self, the flesh, and, and the spirit in us, they're just, they're doing this all the time. He's like, walk by the spirit. Walk in accordance with, with who God is, is creating you to be to live in his presence and walk in that, those ways. And he goes on then to give specific examples of what that looks like, uh, to kind of play that out. And within that is what has become like the, the famous, it's called the fruit of the spirit passage. Um, but as he l- unpacks these examples, the idea is here's what it looks like to live by the flesh, here's what it looks like to live by the spirit. And so he goes into that and says, the works of the flesh are obvious, meaning it's not hard to see, just look around and this is how people live. Sexual immorality moral impurity, promiscuity, adultery, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I like that he throws the junk drawer category then at the end. He's like, and, and you get the idea. It's like, this is not an exhaustive list, but just there's a lot of things. Just kind of look around at how people tend to function. It's not good. He says, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... In contrast to that, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We sang about that this morning. We've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To live by the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit means to live in God's presence and follow in his ways, to listen to his voice, to follow his lead. And Paul says, when you do that, you actually avoid disaster. You you avoid a path that leads to destruction. And and yes, in an eternal sense, but also just in a daily lived experience. Like there is a path and a way of living that you can get on that just makes a disaster of your life. Or there is a path that leads to life. The path that leads to life is this: is, is submitting and yielding to the Spirit and living in His presence, and it leads to these things called you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And here's the thing, regardless of what the future might have for you as far as uh, you know, career or relationship or family or where you're going to live and all the big questions that we ask, regardless of what that looks like for you and regardless of where, where you're even at on a faith journey, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not, I would argue that every person on the planet says, I want a future that looks like these things. I want a future that is full of love. It's full of joy. It's full of peace. It's patience. I want to be a gentle person. I want my future to be one where I have self-control, where I'm not ruled by my emotions and my impulses. Everyone would say, that's a future that I want. Paul says, yeah, that's what you got to lean into. That's what you listen to the leading of the spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, that spirit within you, and if you feel that turmoil, that war of like, do I do this? Do I do that? He says, listen to the, the, the spirit's leading. Oftentimes, the next steps that we want to take aren't the ones that we should. And there's that, that war going on within us. And without God's spirit leading us, it can be really, really hard to tell what's good and what's not. And we can find ourselves at moments in life where I'm halfway down a road and I realize, uh-oh, and there's nowhere to get off. It's like, listen to the leading of, that, of, of the Spirit. And it's not, it's not something that just happens like that, but as we get closer to God, as we keep pressing in, as we pursue Him, the leading and the direction of the Spirit becomes clearer and clearer, and so do our next steps. We're able to have more like, okay, I know what I should do. I know where He's leading me. Now, does that mean it gets crystal clear and God makes every single decision for you? No. It's not going to be like, okay, I'm in step with the Spirit. Lord, what should I eat for lunch today? 
I mean, maybe there's those moments like that. Or, hey, God, where, where, tell me exactly where I should move to or where I should go to college or what job I should take. Sometimes we get leading and direction in those areas. But sometimes there's a lot of freedom in that. And, and God's like, any of the above are fine. That you can be in my will for your life and you can follow me and still choose option A, B, or C because it's not necessarily about those details, but it's about these things and what the Spirit is doing. Regardless of what path you go down, are you this person in that place and in that time and in that circumstance? Is the Spirit working in you? Is he moving in you? Do you know him? We'll be on a path that leads towards these things. We get into the presence of God. It's not always easy to know what the next step is in life and all of the details that we want to have figured out. But there is one step that leads us in the direction of flourishing anywhere we go, and that is to be in relationship with God, to pursue, consistently be desiring to be in his presence, consistently desiring to say, I want that to be the one thing in my life. And so if that's the one thing that is my next step, everything after that, it's going to take care of itself. I often tell people, um, and, you know, if I'm ever in a uh, kind of a counseling situation, which not my strong suit, okay? If you ever think I'd like to go to Phil to kind of talk some things through, let me just warn you right now, I have been told multiple times I don't have the spiritual gift of mercy, not making eye contact with anyone in particular who's told me that. Uh, honestly, a lot of times, you, <laughs> this is the answer you're going to get. You go, hey, Phil, what, like, this is what I'm going through, this is what's going on. And it's like, stop doing that. But that's, that's usually my advice, like, stop that. Um, so, hey, again. Everyone has their different strengths. That's not one of mine. But one of the things that I do consistently say, if someone comes and asks for advice, whether that be a mental health thing, a relationship thing, a career thing, just do the next right thing. What's the next right thing for you to do? Because sometimes we get so overwhelmed with, yeah, but where does this lead three years from now? And what do I need to do? I got to plan. What's the next right thing for you to do? You know, you're struggling with mental health and things are hard. I'm like, hey. Wake up tomorrow, eat breakfast, and brush your teeth. That seems really, really small. But if it's the next right thing to do, it's the next right thing. And worry about the thing after that, after that. You know, relational, relationship-wise, you know, things are, are rough, and I don't know what's going on, and I don't know what to do. Just what's the next right thing to do? I need to call that person. Okay, that's where you start. I need to let go of that thing. Okay, that's where you start. You don't have to worry about but what's going to happen. Next. Don't worry about that. What's the next right thing? It's to a career. Should I move? Should I take that job? Should I do that thing? Do you got to go to work today? Yes. Are there people who are going to be around today? Yes, okay. Do your job with integrity, treat people well. That's the next right thing. Worry about down the road after that. So the next right thing for all of us in any area of life is as I move into my future, I need to be in the presence of God. I need to take a step in that direction and things will work themselves out. Just get closer to God. Just get closer to God. And maybe you're thinking right now, as maybe I'm thinking right now as well, in my head, okay, that sounds good, but how do I do that? Because just get close to God. It sounds very, you know, kind of whimsical, and but what does that look like? I think sometimes we overcomplicate it, that the way that we get close to God is the way that we grow in relationship and get close to people. That's one of the beautiful things about the Christian faith is the incarnation. It is the humanness of Jesus that, that God became man so that we can relate to him. And so how do you get close to God? Same way you get close to people starts with an introduction. You can't be in someone's presence or get to know someone if you've never been formally introduced. And so if you've not, you know, made a decision to follow Jesus to start that journey, that's your first step. Or if you're, you're there, but it's kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of, I know, I know about, you know, Jesus. It's time to actually know him personally. 
Starts with an introduction. And then how do you get to know people more? Have conversations with them. Have some conversations with Jesus. On one, on one hand, that looks like talking to him. And so that's prayer, right? And that doesn't have to be some real formal, formulaic. Just start talking. And then you hear from him. That looks like reading the scripture as he speaks back. It looks like getting yourself surrounded again by community in your church and a small group, something like that, where, where, where people can speak you know, God's wisdom and God's truth into our lives. That one of the ways, I know for me personally, that God has spoken more clearly, clearly than most ways is godly people in my life. And so we get that introduction. We have those conversations. And then finally, as with any good relationship, it takes time. It's a process. And depending on your wiring, that's, you're either going to go, oh, good, or it's going to drive you crazy because you can't check it off a list. Or it's like, no, I want to check off, okay, got close to God, perfect, nailed it, what's next? But it's a thing that takes time. And on one level, like I said, that can be incredibly frustrating because it's like, I just want to get this done. But on the other, level, on the other hand, it, it, can be, it can be really, really freeing to know, hey, you don't have to perfect this right now, that you have a lifetime of growing closer to him. None of us are going to be perfectly close and in his presence this side of eternity. And so we keep moving in that direction. It's getting introduced to Jesus, talking to and hearing from Jesus, and spending time there. I do want to invite you back for our next series as we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We're going to get into a series called Rhythms. That's what it sounds like. What are the rhythms we put into our life? to put ourselves in those situations to, to hear from him and to, to grow and to be in his presence. But for now, what's the one thing? Is the one thing, the one desire of your heart, I just want to be in God's presence, everything else comes after that. To dwell in his presence, seek his face, follow his ways, to keep in step with the spirit. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that we can be in your presence. God, that... Um, there's no hoops to jump through. There's no, no checklist of things. But, Lord, simply because of what you have done through your son, Jesus, Jesus, because of your life, death, and resurrection, we can know you. We can be in your presence. We can come straight to you. Lord, we praise you for that. God, I pray that we would be people that, above all else, we just desire to dwell in your presence, to know you. Holy Spirit, transform us. As we leave this place, as we go about our week, transform us, help us to walk in your ways, to keep in step with the Spirit. Create in us that fruit of the Spirit, the thing that we long for. God, may we trust that if we're, if we're leaning into you, that whatever the future looks like, it's going to be all right. God, give us wisdom in those moments where there are big decisions to make. And I pray for anyone here who's got something big on the horizon that they're trying to work through. Lord, I pray you would just speak to them clearly. Remind them of your presence with them. We pray this in Jesus' name.